Testing. All right, we're good. So it's just uh, one of the construction workers must have kicked the um, the plug or something. Did you? Were you able to tell them no touch? Okay, good. Ah, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Let's take this story from the beginning in case people are catching it up. Uh, you're going to catch up um, on only one of the, uh, the streams. Sayyidah Aisha, she was very covetous over the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She was, wanted to always be number one with the Prophet, peace be upon him. This is considered like a, a good thing. This is not a bad thing. Now, Sayyidah Zainab was to her a threat to that superiority and supremacy that she had with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and and this just goes to show you we're dealing with human beings and the prophet allowed them to be human beings the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not try to make robots out of people and expect them to shut out their desires and their and their feelings so the messenger peace be upon him then uh, would visit sayda zainab and she had a honey grove was that what it's called i don't know if it's called that but she had a tree that used to have some nests in it and they would get honey out of that. So, or a hive. Man, subhanAllah, Sira really makes you know a thing or two about nature here. It's called a hive. And she used to get honey from that, and the Prophet used to eat from that honey. So, Sayyidah Aisha says, I smell something not good from you. Is that what, did you eat something that wasn't, that was like that? So it happened, and they did it. The Prophet wasallam said, La bas. No, nothing like that. Sharibtu asalan inda Zainab bint Jahsh. Zainab bint Jahsh was, some said, the most, the most beautiful woman of Quraysh. And she was related to the Prophet wasallam through the mothers, like her mother. And, uh, and so the Prophet wasallam said, No, I just had this honey. But I will not go back to it. I won't eat it again if it offends, if it has a bad scent. And the Prophet was very sensitive about having a bad scent. For example, we know the Messenger, peace be upon him, did not, did not ever have sensitivity about his clothes. He wore what he wore, whatever was there. Okay? He didn't uh, be picky about his clothes. If someone gave him a gift, he would wear it. If someone liked it, he gave it away. That's how simple the Prophet was. He wore, wore clothes that was... Arab clothes. He wore a Roman shirt when he was gifted that. He wore a Yemeni garment when he was given that. He wore many different things. So he was not picky. We know that. For for sure, for sure, food was not something the Prophet was ever picky about. Yet, however, the scent he was, I wouldn't say the word picky, but I would say the word that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was was always concerned never to have a bad odor. Okay? Never to have a bad odor. So, he said, Len I will never go back to it. So then Allah Ta'ala revealed, out of mercy to the Prophet, and that this would be a sunnah as well, if he says, I will never eat honey again, what would the sunnah be regarding honey? And yet Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala talks about Asal, it's, it's something in paradise. It's a healing in this life. But if it became a sunnah that the Prophet does not go back to honey, then that's not what Allah wants. Okay? So, but the Prophet ﷺ did it innocently because he thought that it smelled bad. So Allah Ta'ala revealed, Ya ayyuhan nabi, lima tuharrimu ma ahallallahu lak. Tabataghi maradata azwajik. Why do you forbid what Allah made halal? 
for yourself, only to make your wives happy. Okay. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verses to Sayyidah Aisha and Sayyidah Hafsa, revealing that they planned a plot. And Allah revealed the plot. Okay. And this was sort of like, in a sense, you know, just their youth. Sayyidah Aisha and Sayyidah Hafsa were young. Sayyidah Zainab was older. There are two camps of the Sahaba, of the wives of the Prophet. There were two camps. There were the wives who were of, of a more mature, of, of an older age, but not old. And then there were the youth and the oldest one, Sauda. Sauda, Aisha, and Hafsa. On the other side, there was uh, Zainab and Umm Salama. And there was just like, there, it was based upon their age. Okay. And so for them, it may have been nothing. But if the Prophet doesn't go back to eating honey, then the whole Ummah doesn't benefit from honey. Right? And the whole Ummah would now take that as a sunnah. So Allah Ta'ala re- re- uh, revealed that, uh, uh, reversed that. Secondly, do you see the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam having so many options that he enjoys to eat from? They barely had their, anything. And so when the Messenger enjoys something, Allah wants him to enjoy it from the, from the gifts that Allah gave him is honey, right? There, were, there weren't a lot of options. You can live in Arabia. Now think about this for a second. You could live in Arabia and you can count probably on your two hands, maybe 15 to 20 foods that you have eaten your entire life. Think about that for a second. Let's just take from the meats. Very simple. Camel, goat, sheep. There's no cow and there's no chicken. Maybe bird. Maybe some of the Arabs ate lizard. The Prophet didn't. Quraysh didn't eat that. They didn't. They, they were sort of city. But the Bedouin would eat lizard. You can count the number of proteins they ate. Okay? Maybe eggs from birds that didn't have chickens. They had other different types of birds. All right, let's go to the vegetables. We know that they had gourds. We don't know exactly what they're like. Pumpkin, squash, things like that. Did they have lettuce? No. Did they have tomatoes? No. Did they have cucumbers? Yes, they had cucumbers. See, like we can count what they ate. And you could actually probably put on a, a, a piece of paper everything that you have ever put in your body for your entire life. We, on the other hand, we live a different life. We can't even count what we ate today. The ingredients. It, today's half day. It's here in the middle of the day. In England, it's maybe 9 p.m. or 7 p.m. Can you count, can you list the things that you've put in your body today, forget the chemicals, just you can't list it, right? Who knows? An M&M has what? Chocolate and peanuts. Reese's peanut butter cup. Cereal with how many no- different flakes. Coffee with who knows how many flavors in it. It's very, a sandwich. Some of these sandwiches that you eat, you don't even know what you're eating. It's like I can know that there's meat in it, there's peppers, there's onions, there's cheese. There's just a whole bunch of stuff, okay? How many ingredients and how many spices in a curry, for example? So it's rahmah for the Prophet wasallam. Allah wanted him to have this gift. Nobody's going to stop it, okay? Okay. And the Prophet wasallam, when he said, I, I, had, I, I ate from this honey or I drank from this honey, Allah says, وَإِذْ أَسَرَ النَّبِيُّ إِلَى بَعْضِ أَزْوَاجِهِ حَدِيثًا And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said to his wife, that he had uh, 
had this honey, and she said, oh, it smells bad. Next. Now listen to this. There was a time in every, there's a time in everyone's life where you start yearning for the dunya again. You just need to get through that time. And that time usually happens, you know, time goes on. And here we are, maybe we're in a, star, uh, a period of strength of Iman. There is a time, it's human nature that you wane a little bit. You got to know this. You might not want to hear it, but you have to know it. Especially converts might not be aware of this. Because they haven't grown up and watched adult Muslims. Take it from people who have sat, who have observed adult Muslims. It's not like we're sitting there thinking, okay, what is he going to do? But you see it in life. You see the behavior of a Muslim in life. They are strong. They're powerful. I'm telling you, even shiuch. And they may get a time where they've been doing it for 25, 30 years. They've been teaching fiqh for 30 years. They've been leading dhikrs for 30 years. There may be a little bit of a waning there, right? They've been going to Hajj and Umrah for 30 years. It's human nature, there's going to be a waning there. And there may be an interest diversion of interest. And they will stay within the halal, but there will be a waning. And that waning, people start looking around at the dunya. Okay? I'm not even kidding you where that this has happened to noble shiuch people i would say i would trade their book of deeds at any time but the energy level that they in their waning time okay would probably be 10 times greater than our best moment but no doubt about it there's a little bit of a dip okay and people say that yes the the sheikh didn't teach for this class for many years and he said he passed it on to the students and he got busy with other things one thing led to another it's possible here you have, and you're going to see that the Sahabiyat, the mothers of the believers, also saw all of the women of Medina getting rich. And they began to ask the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, okay, for some wealth as well. All right. And this has led to the point that perhaps the Prophet may even divorce them. Because they were asking the Messenger وسلم, what he didn't have. And they were getting upset about it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intervened. When did Allah intervene? 30 days the Prophet spent away from his wives. 30 days. And then Allah, the Prophet intervened. Uh, Allah intervened with the Quran. Now tell me, if this Quran was from the Messenger وسلم, if I had a book, right, and anything I wrote in that book, my wife would do, right? there would never be an argument that lasts more than five minutes. If I was fake revealing Qur'an, fake revealing a false book, and my wife believed it was true, there wouldn't be an argument for two minutes. There wouldn't be anything for one minute. No husband, me or otherwise. Immediately, okay, God said, boom. And we do that now. Anytime there's a, all right, uh, Sharia says, boom. And you shut it down. Hear the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam If he was the author of the Quran Why would he go through this? That his wife became upset with him And he's not happy in his home life Now why would this happen to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam To establish Sunnah for us 
it's very important to speak about this because everything that happens to the Prophet, peace be upon him, happens to be a sunnah for us. How did the Prophet react? Did he yell? Did he act in a way that was uh, uh, brute or harsh? Or did he just have sabr and remain silent and keep a distance? Then Allah Ta'ala revealed Quran for him. عن عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله تعالى عنه عنه قال لما اعتزل النبي نساءه so to what degree did this incident happen you have to understand that if you ever go camping that's how the sahaba lived imagine you take a couple hundred people and you put them on a big uh, campground put them in a big campground in this campground Everyone's going to pitch a tent wherever they want. That's how life used to be. There was no such thing as seeking a permit. You find an empty patch of land. Hey, hey guys, I'm taking this. I'm, I'm going to build my tent here. And sometimes they had homes and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they built homes and sometimes lived in tents. So when something happened in a family, chances are everybody knows about it. And here the Umar ibn Khattab knows about it. Now why else would Umar know about it? Well, his daughter's one of them, right? His daughter is Hafsa. So, and every father, this is a rule of Sharia, every father and mother have the right to visit their parents, uh, their daughter, sorry. So they could knock on the door, man, I would like to visit my daughter, and he has to let you in. It's your right to visit your daughter, okay? It's your haqq. So Sayyidina Umar says, when the Prophet Sallallahu he stayed away from them. Did he yell? Did he shout? Did he do anything that we would consider not appropriate? No. He avoided them. This incident that we're talking about was before the full hijab was permitted. What, was, what did they wear? They covered their hair, but they didn't, the wives of the Prophet did not cover their face yet. They covered their face later on. قال عمر فقلت لأعلمن ذلك اليوم قال فدخلت على عائشة فقلت The Prophet Umar said enough How is it you are upsetting the messenger of Allah Do you not know he is the messenger of Allah So he went in and he said Aisha he put, what did, Who did Sayyidina Umar go to? The strongest one of them The one that he knows if she turns everyone's going to turn Who is the strongest personality? It's not just she's the daughter of Abu Bakr Siddiq. Well, Asma is the daughter of Abu Bakr Siddiq. She was not the same type of personality. It's not that she was attractive. Zainab was attractive, right? Her personality was like this. Ya ibnata Abi Bakr qad balagha min sha'nika an tu'di Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So your status, your 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 situation, your power has now reached, Shatan is like that you, you have power, right? That you harm the Prophet ﷺ. Tell me by Allah, if this hadith was fabricated by people, would they fabricate their own sources of knowledge? This is the, let's say uh, uh, the Maliki Madhab, who is it? It's Umar and Aisha. And then Ibn Umar and Abu Huraira. That's what the Maliki Madhab is, right? If you want to talk about who, which, who our Sahaba are, who the Fatawa are from, it's from Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Aisha. They dominate the Maliki Madhab. Okay. Malik loved their narrations. First, he loved Umar's narrations because they were public. Public being, all the other Sahaba heard it and they concurred with it. 
So that's Muatta now. It's like Mutawatir now. Aisha, same thing. Aisha, who's going to question her when the Prophet told us to take knowledge from her? And here they are, Sayyidina Umar, Sayyid Umar is saying, Aisha, you, your power has reached the point that you're now harming the Messenger of Allah وسلم, What did Aisha say? Mali wa Malik ibn Khattab. Oh my goodness. Just to show that. Uh, right? Alayka bi'aybatik. This is unbelievable. Just to show what kind of, that this is real life that's happening here. This is not a fairy tale that some people wrote. Nobody would write this about their people. What does Sayyidina um, Sayyid Aisha says? Omar, what is your business with you, me? Deal with your own business. What? SubhanAllah. This is something that, first of all, the courage that she has. The personal courage that she has. Secondly, it increases you that this is not with the belief that no one would make this up because if we're going to make... Go to any religious group. Go to the Malikis for Imam Malik. And they're not even a group. That's a madhab. The difference between a group and a madhab is a madhab establishes a principle. Even if the founder of that madhab was to go off the principle, they would go against him on that issue. A, let's go to a madhab or a group. A group is like ideologically aligned with that leader. They never go against their leaders. That's, I, I would say, the difference between a madhab and a group. Go to any madhab or group. Look at their biographies. You'll never see... You'll never see anything where Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal had a fight with his wife. Where Imam Ahmed, like Abu Hanifa's wife, talked back to him. Where uh, the companion of our, the Imam of our Sheikh, of the Sheikh, uh, uh, whatever, Qadiriya, Shadiliya, uh, his number one had an argument with his wife. You'll never see that. They will gloss it over, right? They'll gloss it over. But this is religion. This is deen. There's no glossing here. You have to tell the truth. So Omar ibn Khattab says, what is, you, what, what is with you, Aisha? Your power has reached that you're now harming the Prophet Sallallahu And Sayyidah Aisha says, Mali wa Malik ibn al-Khattab. She doesn't even say his name. What's my, what is your business with me, son of Khattab? Alayka bi'aybatik. Go deal with your own problems. Unbelievable. Okay. Qala fadakhaltu ala hafsa. So what did he do? He moved on. She's not getting anywhere with Sayyidah Aisha. He went to Sayyidah Hafsa. Now, this is his daughter. Ya Hafsa. Qad balagha min sha'nika an tu'di Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Same thing. So you're now, you think the Prophet's because he's nice to you. Now you're harming him. Peace be upon him. Wallahi laqad alimtu anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam la yuhibbuk. Okay. Walawla ana subhanallah he was that is that is some those are some harsh words he said well i know the prophet doesn't like you okay and if it wasn't for me he would have divorced you he's saying she's harsh he says well i know that the prophet doesn't like you oh my goodness he does not he is not afraid of the truth and sometimes you don't say certain things like this. But he said it. She wept then. Extreme weeping. And while he's weep, she's weeping. Did he feel bad? He was tough on his own. That's why she turned out tough. She sa- he says, Aina Rasulullah, where is the Messenger of Allah? Qalat huwa fi khazanatin fi khazanatihi fil mashraba. 
So he's in a certain place where there there was water. فَدَخَلْتُ فَإِذَا أَنَا بِرَبَاحِ غُلَامِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَائِدًا عَلَى أُسْكِفَةِ الْمَشْرَبَةِ مُدِلٍ رِجْلَيْهِ عَلَى نَقِيرٍ مِنْ خَشَبٍ There was a stream there and the Prophet ﷺ was with a boy, a servant, and the Prophet had his feet in the water. فَنَادَيْتُ يَا رَبَاحِ إِسْتَأْذِنْ لِي عِنْدَكَ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَوْرَبَاحْ The servant, permit me to go, uh, give me permission to come into the Prophet. فَنَظَرَ رَبَاحُ إِلَى الْغُرْفَةِ ثُمَّ نَظَرَ إِلَيَّ فَلَمْ يَقُلْ شَيْئًا He looked at the room, then he looked at me, he didn't say anything. ثُمَّ قُلْتُ يَا رَبَاحْ إِسْتَأْذِنْ لِي عِنْدَكَ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ He said, رَبَاحْ, let me go and speak to the messenger. Again, he looked at the room, and then he looked back at me, and he didn't say anything. Then I raised my vo- voice so that the Prophet could hear. Ya Rabah, permit me to go into the Prophet Because I think that the Prophet Okay, and maybe that because I thought maybe the Prophet thinks he doesn't want to let me in. The Prophet's not letting him in. So he said, maybe the Prophet thinks I'm here to advocate for Hafsa. Okay, like many parents do, advocating for their kids. I don't know how. My parents never advocated for me. My parents' way was to the teacher, okay? The, the skin is yours, the bones are mine. That's what my dad would say to the soccer coach, the teacher. We went to a sleepover. He would sit me down in front of the, like, the dad, and he would say, you do whatever you wish with him. The skin is, mine, is yours, the bone is mine. Other parents are worse. They say, maximum the hospital, not the morgue. So he says out loud, so that the Prophet would hear this, maybe the Prophet thinks I'm here to advocate for my daughter, Hafsa. No, I'm not here to advocate for her. If he told me to strike her neck, I would strike her neck. Okay? وَرَفَعْتُ صَوْتِي فَأَوْمَأَ إِلَيَّ أَنْ أَرْقِهْ فَدَخَلْتُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Then the Prophet nodded, let him in. وَهُوَ مُطَّجِعَ عَلَى حَصِيرٍ He was laying down on a straw mat and I came close to him, alright, and he only had one izaran. وَإِذَا الْحَصِيرُ قَدْ أَثَّرَ فِي جَنْبِهِ And the hasir had made a mark on his side. فَنَظَرْتُ بِبَصَرِي فِي خَزَانَةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَإِذَا أَنَا بِقَبْضَةٍ مِنْ شَعِيرٍ نَحْوَ الصَّاعِ وَمِثْلَهَا So the, this house, this place where the Prophet would go to, because he wasn't going home, he looked at what food does the Prophet have? He said, a handful of wheat. وَإِذَا قَالَ فَابْتَدَرَتْ عَيْنَاي My eyes wept. And the Prophet ﷺ said, why do you weep? I said, O Messenger, peace be upon how could I not weep? Look at your, your, you're on the straw mat, your sides are marked by the mat, and your cupboard has nothing except what you see here, a handful of wheat. Okay? And here we have the Caesars and the Kosros of Persia and the Byzantines. They're, they're in rivers and they're in Fruits that are hanging, low-hanging fruits. And you, Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and you are the chosen one of Allah, are in this little place with a little tricklet of a stream 
and a straw mat and some wheat in the cupboard. The Prophet said, Yabna al Khattab, son of Khattab, Allah Tarda and Takuna Lana Akhira Walahumud Dunya. Isn't isn't it make you happy that we have the akhirah, they have the dunya? Ultubala, I said, Yes, it does make me happy. قَالَ وَدَخَلْتُ عَلَيْهِ حِينَ دَخَلْتُ أَنَا أَرَى فِي وَجْهِهِ الْغَضَبِ I came in, I knew, I saw that the Prophet was angry when I came in. He was not happy about this situation. So, uh, regarding his wives. فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ مَا يَشُقُّ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ شَأْنِ النِّسَاءِ What bothers you with these women? Okay. Now you see a man who has a fight with his wife, he can't even do anything. He can't go to work, can't do anything. Okay. Can't do anything. The wife is the most important, and same thing on the other side, right? But for a man, you be the strongest man. You be the richest man. You be whatever it is. You're if you if you have an issue with your wife, your whole day's ruined. Your billions and millions of dollars can't fix that. Your popularity with people can't fix that. Any skill that you have cannot fix that. You are in a bad mood. Any person who prioritizes something over their wife is going to be miserable in their life. Okay. If your wife asks you to cut somebody off, you cut that person off because you just do an analysis. Angry wife. Or friendship with this person. All right, we're going to have to cut this person off. Like if she has a reason not to like him. Or her. فَإِن كُنْتَ طَلَّقْتُهُنَّ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَكُ وَمَلَائِكَتُهُ وَجِبْرِيلُ وَمِكَئِيلُ وَأَنَا وَأَبُوْ بَكْرُ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ مَعَكُ Okay? If you divorce them, Allah is with you. The angels are with you. Jibreel is with you. Mikael is with you. I'm with you. Abu Bakr is with you. All the believers are with you. فَلَمَّا تَكَلَّمْتُ وَأَحْمَدَ اللَّهَ بِكَلَامِ بِكَلَامٍ إِلَّا رَجَوْتُ أَنْ يَكُونَ اللَّهَ أَزْدَقَ قَوْلِهِ أَلَّذِي أَقُولُ وَنَزَلَتْ هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ So he says, and I thank Allah, وَأَحْمَدُ اللَّهَ بِكَلَامِ This is one of the situations in which Omar spoke, his fitra was so perfectly in the orbit of the truth that his mind came upon a reality. That reality was so true, it is also from the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Siyuti counts 22 times. 13 of them are word for word. Word for word. What Omar said, Allah revealed it in the Quran. How do we understand that? We understand that because there's like orbits of truth. And Omar was so clearly on the orbit of truth that he came upon a truth which Allah himself says, the verses mean if Allah was to command him to divorce you, okay, he would bring other wives, better wives than you. And if you make a movement out of this, in tadahara alayhi. If you gather together and you think, O oh, wives of the believers, that you're going to make a movement out of this and you're going to have to rise up against the Prophet, peace be upon him, his protector is Allah and Jibreel and all the believers and all the angels after that are will all stand up for him. This was nothing, this was not short of a dispute, a spousal dispute, and these things can, can be unfriendly. Why else would Allah say, All of us are standing behind the Prophet because there was some negativity there. It wasn't just uh, uh, somewhat, you cannot gloss these things. 
Subhanallah, Sheikh Omar Popel is here, he's on deck. But I'm going to tell you, true or false, you can bring him up. True or false, that every group that you ever come upon, every tariqah, and you can maybe raise the volume on the TV so I can hear him. Every group, every tariqah, every organization, every madhab, read their biography. Do they not gloss over their shiuch? And their shiuch will be never have anything negative about their shiuch, right or wrong. Because those shiuch, they're human beings. We have to cover up their flaws. This is revelation. This is religion. What happens has to be recorded properly. Okay? And here you have it. Now, what happens, you know what the Shia say? The Shia say, why should we not have a dispute with the Sahaba when the Sahaba disputed themselves? Good question, right? The Sahaba had disputes among themselves based upon their themselves as people. What is our link with the Sahaba? Nothing other than they're the companions of our Prophet. But the Sahaba didn't, had more links with each other than Suhbah of the Messenger, So a husband and wife, she doesn't look at her husband and say, he's a Sahabi. No. He's Zaid. He's Abdullah. When she disputed him, she disputed the person of Zaid, the person of Abdullah, not a Sahabi of the Messenger. That's why the Sahaba can dispute all they want with each other. And we can't. Right? A man could dispute, dispute with his wife. Now the son comes along and supports his dad. You shut your mouth. That's your mom. That's not, that's, we're different. Right? Uh, husband and wife are at the same level. This is your mother. She's your above you so you shut your mouth okay same thing with with people and their kids a guy could come and say and talk all uh, moms might do it all the time talk all bad things about their uh, their their kids oh my kid is this my kid is that and the the friend what is she expected to do she's expected to say oh that's okay have mercy upon him make dua for him the moment she says yeah he's terrible all of a sudden that's war okay there's a saying in Egypt says, I'll make dua on my kids, but you don't say amin. Okay? <laughs> okay? So let's finish this off, Abik, so that we can invite uh, Sheikh Omar here. وَكَانَتْ عَائِشَةُ بِنْتَ أَبِي بَكْرِ وَحَفْصَ تَظَاهَرَانِ عَلَى سَائِرِ النِّسَاءِ سَائِرِ النِّسَاءِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ أَطَلَّقْتَهُنَّ okay. So Sayyidah Aisha had gathered up all, riled up, riled up this situation and she said did you divorce them he said no ya rasulullah inni dakhaltu al-masjid wal muslimuna yankutuna bil hasa yaquluna talaqa rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam nisa'ahu a messenger of allah i was in the masjid and i heard people saying the prophet uh, he divorced his wives all of them fa anzala afa anzilu fa akhbiruhum annaka lam tutalliqhun should i go and, and tell them uh, this is umar sorry we're still on sayyidina umar he said, yes, go tell them I did not divorce anyone. No, there's no divorce happening. I kept chit-chatting. Just talk about different subjects. Until the ghadab came from his Sayyidina Umar وسلم, showing the wisdom here of what to do when someone's upset. And that this is okay for someone, even the leader of the people, his personal affair becomes known to people. What does his Sahaba do? We don't have this mentality of just uh, like some other groups where 
we view our leaders as some masoom, non-human, above human. It, it doesn't work that way. No, he's a human being. If the, this happened to the Messenger of Allah, it could happen to anybody else. I even made the Prophet laugh. Then the Prophet وسلم, came down, came out of the place, and I came out with him. And he said, also noting the power and the strength of the Prophet, I came down having to hold branches because the Prophet was in some you know, natural area. I came down having to hold down branches, but the Prophet didn't have to hold on to anything. Just observing the strength of the Prophet. Ya Rasulullah, innama kuntu fil ghurfati tis'ata wa You were 29 days there. Okay? 29 days you were spent in that room, not going home. Qala, inna shahra ikunu tis'an wa A month is 29 days. So one month. Okay? Because a month is 29 or 30 days. Faqumtu ala bab al-masjidi fanadaytu bi'ala sawti. I went, Omar says, to the door of the mosque and I announced to everyone, Lam yutallik Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam nisa'ahu. Then, Surah Al-Tahrim, more ayahs, وَإِذَا جَاءَهُمْ أَمْرٌ مِّنَ الْأَمْنِ أَوْ الْخَوْفِ أَذَاعُوا بِهِ وَلَوْ رَدُّوهُ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ وَإِلَى أُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْهُمْ لَعَلِمَهُ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَنْبِطُونَ مِنْهُمْ فَكُنْتُ أَنَا أَسْتَنْبِطُ ذَلِكَ الْأَمْرَ وَأَنزَلَ Okay, it looks like it's an accusation against Omar, but it's not. He says, If an affair comes of good news or bad news, they announce it. But if they had returned it to the messenger and those who are in charge that can extract the truth and the falsehood and what to do about it, that would have been better. Omar says this verse was revealed after I made that announcement and I am from those people who knew how to discern the truth and falsehood. Why? Because he took it from the prophet and he took permission to announce it. Therefore, this is a rule for all of us. Let's say we're in an organization and we all have a meeting. I'm sure this happens with Tenweed Institute and everything. And there's an issue. If one of the members goes and spills the beans without us having agreed, that person's going to be out very soon. He's not trustworthy. So the Quran says, when you're with a group, when you're maybe in a government or in a state, and an affair occurs that needs to an announcement, then do not make the announcement until we agree what we're going to say. And this is all what happened during, I'm sure we all did this during COVID. You have meetings, hey, what are we going to do? Are we going to close the masjid, open the masjid? Imagine now somebody from the board now goes and spills the beans. Right? And we look, unorganized now all right let us now introduce our guests and he's been waiting very patiently our guest is sheikh omar popel from tanweer institute sheikh omar popel is from virginia he now lives in virginia he studied in south africa pakistan and yemen hadramaut yemen and he is now with us today and ryan if there's a way that you can put texts um um, in front of his name okay if, if not that's no problem all right Sheikh Omar Popal, how are you and thank you for coming on to our program and on to our live stream first thing I'd like to ask you is your comments and thoughts on 
the this asbab al nuzul of surah at tahrim we were just reading from uh, imam siyuti's asbab al nuzul there your thoughts before, on that instant? before I, I comment on that is my voice clear everything fine good to go okay alhamdulillah um i was i mean i'm just sitting here listening to this like so happy that deen is being taught <laughs> and not just like you know, because many times people want to talk about uh, 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 this particular topic in regards to the Prophet ﷺ and his wives and the, and the dispute that took place. And they just want to keep giving their opinions and their opinions. Whereas you took it, you came, let's let's go to the source. Let's mm -hmm. read what happened and let's read it from the, the vantage point of the one who was involved with it. And so um, I, I really commend you for that, mashallah. But on, on, on top of that... Um, I think if you just took this one story, you could extrapolate as you did so many wisdoms of how to deal with not only dispute, but marital dispute, and then dispute or marital dispute when it comes to leaders in the public eye. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just reflecting on that right now, being someone in the community who, who is un, you know placed in a, in a position of service, you deal with this all the time, share yourself as well, you get involved in marital disputes and then you see, I mean, subhanAllah, you see like, you know, one spouse trying to get the children on their side to say something mm. bad about the other spouse. And it's like, you, you can't do that. That's abuse. That's abuse. And, and, and one thing that happens is that if we're coming and, and, and we may have not planned something, but it becomes a reality that people may look up to you as for, for, they look up to you as a sheikh. Every imam that teaches, people look up to them. From the outset in this relationship, there needs to be a rule for both sides. Number one, you do not follow somebody because they're masoom, except the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You follow them because they, they have knowledge that you don't have. They have a position that you don't have. They reflect some sincerity. That's it. Not because they're perfect. Expect blemishes expect warts expect everything that happens to a human being and still on top of all that respect your leader if you've chosen them as a leader if your heart's connected to them you believe in them you still accept them at that with that or else there will be no bitter wadidain absolutely everyone's what's greater following your imam in the mosque or your or you have a dad and your mom everyone's mom and dad has warts out in the open because most most moms and dads are not shiuch and try to polish themselves every day and every night the regular people and you're commanded to have the utmost respect for that despite their warts and even their sins that you see so followers should be told the same thing okay you're shiuch do not go and put have a ridiculous expectation that's one side on the other side that's for the leaders for followers remove your ego from the equation what Allah says and his messenger says, what comes in these books transmitted by authentic sources, that's, we, that's the sun. We orbit around that. You don't like what Omar said? Make yourself like it. He's your sahabi. The prophet approved of him. Allah approved of him. Oh, he was harsh. How could he tell his daughter, I know Allah, the messenger doesn't like you. And if it were only because of me, he would have divorced you a long time ago. How could he say that? He could say what he wants to say. He is approved by God and his prophet. You don't like it, you don't like it. 
Sayyidah Aisha, how could she go to say to say to Sayyidina Omar, what's your business with me? Go deal with your own business. Whoa. She says, well, she, that's, Allah approves of this woman. The Prophet approves of this woman. She could say what she wants to say, right? Our egos have to be submitted and we orbit around the sun. The sun doesn't orbit around us. Mm. Yeah, so continue. I just uh, actually, just to end on that, I was preparing um, one of the hadith for the hadith Nawi is reading the tarjuma, the biography of uh, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab. Mm. And alhamdulillah, I think there's a good amount of literacy amongst most Muslims about Sayyidina Umar. But I read this one line. It said that Kana Andu Khatam, he had a ring, Maktubun Ali, and it was written on this ring, Kafa bil Moti Wa'idan Ya Umar. Subhanallah. It, you know, death is a sufficient reminder, O oh, Umar. Subhanallah. Yeah, I just like subhanallah. subhanallah. He, he was awesome. MashaAllah. And Sayyidina Umar asked, uh, Sayyidina Ali asked Sayyidina Umar one time, why is it the people fear you so much? He said, because I fear Allah. Or, <laughs> sorry, they asked Sayyidina Ali, why do people fear Umar so much? Sayyidina Ali says, because Umar fears Allah so much. So that fear transmitted, trickled down. SubhanAllah. So let's begin now with... Um, Tell us about, number one, where you are right now. That That's going to be my first question. And, and my second question is going to be, where did your journey start from? Virginia, where did you go? And what did you pick up in these places? So there's going to be a little bit of an autobiographical sketch here. And anyone who is in Virginia, you're going to get to, to, to hear about uh, his institute. And you can go study there and learn there. Bismillah. How much, how much time we got? <laughs> we, we, we got some time. Don't worry. Mashallah, I am currently in um, uh, Centerville, Virginia, but basically Northern Virginia. Um, and this is where I was born and raised um, and didn't leave here really until uh, I just turned 16 is when I went to South Africa. So currently we're here. We have an institute here called Tenwir Institute. And um, the main focus is essentially three focusing on uh, teaching foundational knowledge and yeah the main focus is teaching foundational knowledge having public gatherings of remembrance and uh, just being in the service specifically more of um i don't the word young is quite relative but like specifically young muslims who are really trying to find their way trying to find that perfect balance of drawing closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while at the same time navigating the dunya and so those are the three purposes of tanweer knowledge which includes islamic studies in arabic uh public gatherings of dhikr right i, I mean I, i'm sure i'm sure you growing up dr shazi like or, or even when you came back from from, from uh, after graduating i'm sure you realized like what's up with all these private gatherings of dhikr there's no public gatherings of dhikr like yeah i'm sick i'm sick of this you know to this day like when you mention dhikr like there's an eerie sense in the room if you're in like a khutbah or something. And so uh, public gatherings of dhikr and then just being in service uh, of Muslims in this area. Uh, I also, uh, my full-time job, Tanweer is uh, um, right now you know on the side, but also full-time. My full-time job is Al-Maqasid. I'm an instructor at Al-Maqasid Seminary uh, as, well, as well as part of the admin team. Um, so I teach online and I go up every month and uh, may Allah bless them in the work they do. Question for you. Um... For Tenweed Institute, 
where is it located? Sanwir Institute is located. We don't have a physical building yet, but we do work out of a masjid uh, called the Islamic Center of Northern Virginia Trust, also known as Shirley Gate Masjid. It's in Fairfax, Virginia. And uh, so it's it's like 20 minutes out of D.C. I remember the uh, having lived a year and a half in the Virginia area. Um, six months in Silver Springs, Maryland. Six months in Foggy Bottom, Washington, D.C. Six months in, I believe it was Arlington, Virginia. And Arlington, Fairfax, you have an area called Seven Sisters, I believe. Uh, seven Corners. Seven Corners, okay. Uh, Tyson's, Virginia, yeah. right? These are all little areas. They're all next to each other. Um, and there's always been a lot of police uh, activity there. There's been, for example, there's been Mustafa Center. Then you have the Adams Center. Then you have what else? Uh, you got Dar al-Hijra. Dar al-Hijra. How is Dar al-Hijra doing? Dar al-Hijra is doing good. It's still up and running? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have an imam now, Imam Farhan. Shout out to him. Uh, graduate of Ummah Qura. I think he's been there for about two years now. Um, and so they have classes. I mean, still, uh, you know, I was there two months ago uh, after Juma, And like, it was like a parade. Like, mashallah, there's so many Muslims in that area. Yeah, that's what I remember. It was like, it was busy place a happening place it was it was fun times to live in virginia yeah definitely, yeah definitely okay so you're you're born and raised in virginia when you went to south africa was that where it was sheikh ibrahim um uh, Mufti Desai? yes is that who you studied with no so Tell us about um, the landscape in, in south africa what are the schools there and the madaris okay so yeah I was in high school in Virginia, public high school. I was a normal Muslim kid, grew up as, as, as normal as you can think. I think you were much more into sports. I was not. Um, I was into just whatever dunyawi types, video games, music, all that kind of stuff. And my dad, I love, bless him, uh, was, he got really into Tablighi Jamaat. And he went to South Africa for like a big Tablighi Jamaat, I think Mashwara or something, Ijtama. And he goes there, he goes to Johannesburg. And in Johannesburg, there's two main schools, two main Dar al-Ulums, uh, which are uh, Dar al-Ulum Zakaria and Dar al-Ulum Azadville. And he visits these schools and he's like, whoa, I didn't know this culture of seeking knowledge and becoming a Maulana and becoming a Hafiz exists. So he comes back. I'm in my summer after ninth grade. And he goes, uh, you're going to go to South Africa and memorize Quran. And at that point in my life, I was like, what do you mean memorize Quran? People do that? Like, what do you, I thought they're just one Taraweeh guy. He just travels all over the world. Like, what are you talking mm -hmm. about? And it was a back and forth. It was a back and forth. And it was tough. But, you know, something in my heart was like, okay. So I did one month of 10th grade. And we went to South Africa. And my cousin at that time, whose name is Sled Humayun Toki, he also teaches at Tanweer. He was on a different path. He just came back from the Dota and he wanted to memorize the Quran. So we both go to South Africa to this uh, big city called Durban. And on the mountains of Durban is a city called Campertown, where there's a madrasa called Madrasa in Amiya. And at that time, Mufti Ibra, Ibrahim Desai, uh, Rahmatullah Alayh, he was teaching there. So that's the third madrasa. That's the third madrasa. That's the third madrasa. And I would say those are the three big ones. There's a lot of smaller ones. Are they the same? Have... Same curriculum? Are they all friends? Like, it's the same thing, right? Yeah, they're all same mashrub. 
same, 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 you know, they're all friends. Yeah. Uh, those three, even the smaller ones, mashallah, they're really like unified in South Africa. I think it's like 2% Muslim, like 96% halal food or something, mashallah. Uh, like something, big number like that. And then you have Cape Town, which is a whole separate discussion. Um, we weren't allowed to go to Cape Town, but that's a, that's a separate discussion. What's the reason? Uh, the reason at that time they told us was like, there's too much, you know, there's good Muslims in Cape Town, but there's too much fitna. You know, you walk on the street, a woman's going to try and hug you. Oh, you mean it's like the big city. <laughs> that's the big city. Okay, I got you. Yeah. It's like not being allowed to go to New York or something. Yeah. Yes. I, you know what? That, 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 that makes yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we go to Cape Town to, to memorize the Quran and, um, yeah, I mean that was that was a journey. I don't know if you wanted me to talk about that. Yeah, or... tell us what what is that South Africa like? I mean, most of us probably have never been uh, to that country, and and we're wondering like, what is it like? How did the Muslims get to be established there, etc.? So South Africa, um, I think other people would be better in telling like as far as the history. I can tell from my own personal experience, um, but definitely post apartheid. Um, Muslim, especially these like Gujarati Muslims from the subcontinent that, you know, decades before made Hijra there, um, they became very strong. They all made businesses. Those businesses made money. I mean, like one of the biggest companies there is a rival of Coca-Cola called Kui. Um, and it's like a soda company. It's owned by Muslim. A lot of big, big companies that are owned by Muslims. And these Muslims, um, who came from the subcontinent, they had, at least a small group of them, had a care and concern uh, to take that knowledge culture of like learning, memorizing the Quran, right? Studying the six books of Hadith, that Darul Ulum culture as well. They brought it to South Africa and they started small, but they built, Allah put barakah in their work. Allah put, Allah accepted their sincerity and they started to build these big, big schools. And now, I mean, any city in South Africa has a couple Darul Ulooms and they're packed. I'm talking like Hufad, mashallah, every year in the in the hundreds, right? For each school. Um, you know, uh, graduates, right? It's hard to say the word scholars, but graduates, mashallah, who have gone through six, seven years of training, you know, uh, in, 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 at least in the dozens every single year. So uh, may Allah increase them, bless their work. Like you say, right? The meat and potatoes work. Yeah. And my experience was different. I was, I mean, I just got out of high school. So I'm going to this school now where they're telling me, you can't leave here, right? This is a daughter of them. You can't leave here, right? Except like every month you're allowed to leave for like one day and just kind of like walk around the area. Um, you have food in the cafeteria. The food is like the most basic food. I, you know, later on I go to Dara Mustafa and the food is even more basic, but um, I remember like you're six people to a room at that point. The only person I ever shared a room with in my life was my sister as a kid. Um, you have to take all your belongings and keep them in a small locker. Um, and mashallah, you're like in class for what, you know, eight, nine hours a day. And then there's review. So I had to learn how to like read Quran properly. I had to learn how, what it is to memorize the Quran, you know, mashallah, Allah bless them. I'm sure. Uh, they don't mean it, but you know the, the 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 way of teaching is a little bit severe there. So you know had to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And lucky for me though, is that I was still in culture shock, 
And my only way to combat that in the first couple of months was to go to the library. They had a library uh -huh. and I found, I found a lot of contentment in there. And there was a teacher there and his name was Molana Muhammad Abbasumar, who is currently with Sheikh Muhammad Awama in Turkey. And he just put, you know, he would, he just asked me, he would talk to me, just like the, the narration you read, right? Uh, Say, Umar ibn Khattab, talk to the Prophet until the, the sadness left. Mm -hmm. He would do that with me. Turns out he's teaching Sahih Muslim. That's his job. SubhanAllah. But he's in the library and he takes out time to talk to me. And he even starts to teach me like basic hadith. And so that was really nice. And then I started looking at books. I was not a reader growing up. I read Harry Potter. I didn't even finish the series. And I read a few other books like I didn't read. But outside of memorization, there wasn't much to do. And I came across a book, which was called um, Ma'arif Mathnawi. It was a weird title. I was like, what is this? You know, stories from the Mathnawi. Mm. The of Rumi. And I just opened it and subhanAllah, I came across a story. And I won't go into the story because it might not be fit for this live stream. Why, but, why is it? Why wouldn't it be? Um, you got me interested now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I'll, I'll say it. Um, uh, this book is compiled by a scholar, Allah have mercy on Hakim Akhtar Saab, mm -hmm. a great scholar in Pakistan. And um, he had a strong connection to Rumi. So he, he says that he extrapolates a story from the Mathnawi. And this story is that there is a disciple and a teacher. And the teacher is, uh, mashallah, very close to the disciple and everything's going well. One day, the teacher's maid, who's female, she comes in to bring tea. And he noticed the disciple looks at her with an eye of desire. And then he keeps watch. Every day the, the lady would come in and she would bring the she would bring tea and he would look at her with an eye of desire. And this is the part I'll fast forward. But he organizes such that the lady comes in the next day. Right. And he makes her look very like not, 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 you know, drains her of sweat and, and, you know, she's looking frail and skinny by, by certain methods. And she comes in and, and the, the disciple, he, he looks expecting that beauty he saw the day before. And he like quickly turns away and he's like, oh, right. And it's like, and, and he, he, in the, the, the teacher made the lady go to the barn. So she smelled like, animals he just looks away and the disciple just says he says that what you were obsessed with that's what distracted you from the words of god and the words of the rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam right that's what your heart was desiring that's why you started coming to class more eager and early for that and as a high school student like that just hit me and it's from there i learned about tasawwuf and ihsan and purification of the heart my first reaction was one of anger. I was like, where has this been growing up as a Muslim? No one ever told us about this. It was always just like Islam, Iman, right? And even that on a surface level, like, where has this been? I need this, right? I need this. I, I need to figure out a way. I listened to garbage music for many years. I need to rid myself of that, right? I need to purify my gaze. I need to purify my heart. There's ways of getting close to Allah 
right? That, 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 that are doable for me. And so that became my experience in South Africa. I began to sit with other teachers as well. And, you know, um, I can go, I can spend multiple podcasts just talking about South Africa itself. But I end up coming back almost after almost about a year. And the story continues there, mashallah. So you spend a year there? Yeah, I spent about nine, ten months there. And you fin and you did HIF there, then you came back to Virginia. Yeah, so I didn't finish HIF, did about nine years. Okay. Came back to Virginia and uh, came back to Virginia in Ramadan. And in Ramadan, I somehow, I don't even know how, I read the biography of Malcolm X, mm. autobiography of Malcolm X. And my, after finishing it, I was like, okay, I want to finish high school. But I don't want to go back to public school. And there was a South Africa graduate locally who had just come back. His name was Mufti Yusuf bin Yaqub. Uh, uh, he's still here, mashallah. And he was starting a school here in Springfield, Virginia, which is called Medina to Ulum. And he's like, hey, uh, I'm starting this school. I don't have any students yet. Uh, we can figure out a way for you to do for you to do uh, high school online if you want to join. And there so was the internet at that time. He's young. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving myself away as yes. I can. Help. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Okay. I feel very old. I tell you that much. No, no. <laughs> Didn't have internet uh, education in high school when I was in college, even. Actually, I, I'm not like some of these young shabab. They use the internet. Yeah. I did high school through a program called American School of Correspondence. With where letters. They send, yes, yes. So they send you the books. They send you the exams. You take them. Yep. You got to put them back in the envelope. Yeah. Even the way you pay, you had to pay by check. Yep. Um, so so I, I did it through that. For the next two years. Now, this school was like a, it was a Sharai school or just academics? So this is this is a Dara Ulum. Oh, okay. In Virginia. In Virginia. There so you was, do Dara Ulum and you do high school. And I do high school. Okay. I do this for two years. Okay. And the blessing of those two years. Yeah. Was, was that we were, mashallah, really drilled in, in being able to read and understand text. Uh, to be to, able to read Arabic text. Yeah. 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 So, so I didn't get to finish my hiv, but... May Allah bless Mufti Yusuf. I'm talking about we used to wake up at the Hajjad, right? Even though we would go back home, right? Like we would sleep at home. There was no there was no dorming. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, wake up at the Hajjad, pray two rakah, boom, morphology, yalla. Right. Uh, you know, memorizing grammar and then applying it and just doing that day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. And so I got I got um I got quite strong for a better lack of words, uh, uh, in those two years. Obviously studying the other subjects of sacred law as well. But something happens. And what happens is that I'm young at that time. I'm 17, 18. And I find it very difficult um, in my second year where the hymna starts to dwindle a little bit. SubhanAllah. And when we started this live stream, I had mentioned that. Awesome. No matter how strong a person is, there will always be a waning. Yeah. yeah. Everything must, that goes up must come down. Must come down. Yeah. And I knew what the problem was. The problem was, lot of ilm, right? Not too much dhikr. Yeah. 
not not as much tasawwuf as I needed, not as much suluk as I needed. And I felt it. And I was at this like loss. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, what can I do? Do I have to travel? Like, what is it? And RIS comes around the corner. Mm. And um, uh, a family member reached out to me saying, hey, I'm going to go have a stall at RIS. Can you come help me? So I researched RIS. I'm like, wow, look at these scholars. Sheikh Faraz Rabani, he's Hanafi. There are other Hanafis in the world that aren't <laughs> like Dar Ulum. Yeah. And then I see Habib Ali Jifri is going to be there. I'm like, whoa, wow, who's this individual? He looks Munawwar, mashallah. And I get excited. I'm like, yes, we're going to RIS. I'm going to find some answers there. I'm going to figure out what to do. I don't want to stop this path, ya Allah. And the night before, I'm packing my bag, excited as can be. My dad comes, knocks on the door. Assalamu alaikum. What's up, dad? How are you doing? Uh, you're going on Tablighi Jamaat for two weeks. Oh, And I'm like, dad, I'm going to RIS. I already asked you about it. You know, please. And he goes, listen, I'm your father. I know what's best for you. I need you to go on this winter break to Ligi Jamaat to Jamaica, New York. And I broke. <laughs> there, you got you to self. <laughs> oh, man, I broke. I broke. Yeah. And um, But Bidr Wadi Dane, right? Yep. I mean, obviously, people can debate that situation, but Bidr Wadi Dane. Well, so he, he, you're under his roof, right? So I'm under his roof. Under you got to do what he said. You're not, you're not someone who earns his own way. Yeah. Right? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we go on Tablighi Jamaat. We're in Long Island, New York. And my cousin had recommended that I read this book called Sufi Sage of Arabia, which is about the biography of Imam al-Haddad. So I was a student of knowledge. I read it. I was like, this is awesome. Even though a lot of that book is like, and so I, I, I found one of Imam Haddad's books online called Adab Saluk al-Murid. And I print out the Arabic. And I'm like, you know what? During this Jamaat, during this Tablighi trip, I'm just going to do Arab and translate this whole book. So yeah. uh, I do that. And my first night there, I'm like really depressed. I just make dua, Ya Allah. If I stay in Virginia and I keep on this path, like it's really hard for me. I don't think I'm going to make it. I think I'm done. I'm going to end up graduating, working. Just living life. Subhanallah. And uh, short story, I see a dream that is clearly telling me to go to Tarim, Yemen, mm. which I don't really have any connection to at that point. And I'm like, my dad won't let me go to Canada for RIS. How is he going to let me go to uh, Tarim, Yemen? Mm. I come back home after this Jamaat. My parents... Uh, they were in Jersey. They come back home too. We're sitting down at the table. So they did Jamaat in Jersey and you did it in Long Island? Exactly, okay. exactly. And women do it too? Like your mom does it too? Yeah, they have like every now and then they'll have like women to Bligi Jamaat okay. trips. Yeah. 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 All right. And um, we come home and the most amazing thing in my life happens. My dad looks at my sister and he goes, do you want to take your dean seriously? She goes, yeah. And he goes, I'm sending you and your brother to a place called Dar al-Zahra in Yemen. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Wow. And my jaw just, it just falls. Subhanallah. And I was like, how? Jeez. And he goes, we're in, he goes, we're in Jersey and we're at this Tablighi gathering. And this man comes 
He's wearing a, he's white and he's wearing a Izar. He's wearing those like Yemeni wrap. And he just comes up to me and goes, do you have kids? And my dad says, yeah. He goes, what are they doing? He goes, oh, they're in a Dara Ulum right now. And he goes, well, you know what? I sent my daughter, daughter Zahra. And if you want your daughter to take her deen seriously, send her and her brother over there. SubhanAllah. That's amazing. And that's just, that's 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 Tawfiq and Taisir from Allah. SubhanAllah. So six months later, through a bunch of ups and downs, we're on our way to... And who ended, who was that? Do you know who that was? I do know. That was that was a brother. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't see why not. That was a brother named Abdul Qadir Wiswal. Ah, yes. SubhanAllah. That's the connection. He is a Jersey man. His origins with Tabligh, and then he went to Dar Mustafa. Yeah. yeah. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. MashaAllah. MashaAllah. So amazing story. Allah is uh, Subhanallah. Generous, that is generous. amazing. That's why sometimes when you leave something, you get something better. You know, you leave something because you have to, because you gotta follow we have to follow Allah's rules, whether we like it or not. If Allah says better waladain, it's better waladain. Allah knows what's best and he can create something that's even greater than we imagined. Absolutely. So you're Absolutely. still basically like not even in college yet and you go to Dar Mustafa. And yeah, how long do you stay there? And what kind of culture shock did you have when you went there? No culture shock. Ooh, no culture shock. So how, how is that? I, I don't know. I don't. I, and like, and like, nothing's from me. So if anyone's hearing this, like, yeah, my papa is nothing. I'm just telling experiences. Yeah, I don't know. I just got there and I was like, home. Subhanallah. Like, 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 everything that I felt absent in America. Yeah. It was just there. And it was not easy. It, I mean, especially at that time, you know, now, mashallah, you go to Dalai Muslim, you go to Tareem. I was there a year and a half ago. There's three pizza stores. Really? Yeah, there's, there was no cheese when I was there. <laughs> um, there were no, there was hardly any fruit and vegetables either. Yeah, yeah. Back in 2001, there was like, there, you didn't get fruit and vegetables. You got an enema at the end of the trip. <laughs> a lot of people don't know what that is you guys could look it up because of the absence of greens in your diet well, yeah um yeah so so i mean it, you know studying in a place like tadim at that time uh had its difficulties um but uh, mashallah and and how did you maintain how many years did you spend there a uh, little over two. And you stayed Hanafi? Did you have a Hanafi teacher there? So, so actually, you know, when I got there, I just made the intention I'm staying here 10 years. And I went to Habib Umar and I said, you know, I've studied Hanafi fiqh. What should I do? And he gave a really profound advice that I give to all students of knowledge. So if they're listening to this, they can take this. He said, Mazilta ma'ana. So as long as you're with us here, study Shafi'i fiqh. Yeah. When you go back, continue your Hanafi studies. SubhanAllah. That's great advice. And, and that's because at that time when I was there, the masters, they were all Shafi'i. Yeah. The muftis, they're all Shafi'i. So, so if, if you want to study at like a level of Ihsan, then just be Shafi'i and study Shafi'i school. Yeah. Um, and it has helped me tremendously. Although in my second year there, mashallah, there was a brother who was quite excelled in, in Hanafi fiqh. And so I did continue both. 
you can't lose, right? There is no, uh, it's not a permanent displacement of your knowledge. You're not going to forget one or the other. Sheikh Muhammad Yaqubi is somebody who can turn a switch on. If he needs to teach Maliki Fiqh, he can teach it. And he yeah. knows everything about its guts. Yeah. And if he needs to teach Hanafi Fiqh, he can teach that, right? And he, yeah, there's no uh, concern. And if you're going to go somewhere where there are masters, it's a waste to not sit with them and take their, their product. Oh man. And then sitting in a in a yeah. class with someone who's like what's called Faqih nafs right? Yeah. Who's like a eats, breathes, and sleeps for the last 45 years, fiqh. Mm. Different. Yeah. You know, it is and it's so fun. A lot of people think fiqh is dry. Actually, I don't think your students think that much. You you mm -hmm. got them you got them trained. <laughs> um, a lot of people think fiqh is dry, and it's like when you sit with Faqih nafs yani someone who's like you know, all that fiqh, fiqh and nahu, because Tareem was known before Dar al-Mustafa, right? Fiqh and nahu. Fiqh oh, and nahu. Tareem. is where the, 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 it's not just meat and potatoes. That is like steaks of fiqh. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, the, when fiqh becomes something that's, um, that people love is when there's a connection to a mas'ala. Yeah. Studying a mas'ala or studying some nahu that, whether it's fiqh or grammar, that, is removed from you is really difficult mm -hmm. right. but if yes. we have an issue right now like we're traveling or we're reading a biography of somebody and we need to know what the words mean so the language or the fiqh it actually has an implementation to us now that's the best opening and yeah. once you get interested in one issue it'll lead to a second to a third to a fourth makes absolutely. the whole thing go down easy absolutely yeah. Um, so I, I, feel two like years I feel like I'm boring you guys with all, with all these stories. No, this is great. This is great stuff. So you go there for two years. You spent there. Yeah, yeah. So I spent yeah. two years there. First year, um, Dada Mustafa has a 10-year program. First yeah. year is yeah. year, And you study all the foundational texts. Now, uh, there, it's, so, it's so wise. They generally do the first year in branches. They don't want you to be at Dada Mustafa. I want you to be in a branch. So yes, you're full, yeah. Right? Because mm -hmm. so if you're in Dalal Mustafa, mashallah, Tareem has like 80 gatherings in a day, which you can kind of yes. escape. Yes. And if, if that's what you want, then you'll go do that. So when I was there, they decided to do it at the branches and they had one at Dalal Mustafa. For some reason, I go to Habib Umar and I'm like, Habib Umar, um, in my broken Arabic, Habib, uh, um, uh, Anna, uh, <laughs> So <laughs> I managed to say, you know, uh, I'm in Ibtidaiya. My sister's in Dara Zahra. I want to do Ibtidaiya here. But yeah. some of the uh, admin are telling me I should go to a village called Inat and go do it there. And then Habib Umar says, you got to go to Inat and get the barakah from there. I was like, Habib, but my sister. He goes, don't worry. I'll write you a permission slip to come back every week and visit her. Mashallah. True story. She never found out I was there until our last week. Subhanallah. Ajeeb. I don't want to I don't want to trouble her. Subhanallah. That's amazing. Um so we go to Inat and now for one year with 17 other students, none of who speak English. We are at this small institute called Ribat Inat. Um and Inat is the is the town where Sheikh Abu Bakr bin Salam, who's the great 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 grandfather of Habib uh, mm. Uh, that's his town that he established, and then he's buried there. His children are buried there, and this small school is different. 
from the larger schools. In one aspect, every student gets their own room. Now, each room is the size of my body. Mm, like a cell. Yeah, so like high ceilings, but your body fits in there with the books next to you, and that's about it. Yeah. Right. Uh, in the larger schools, you have other Westerners. You can speak English. Yeah. No, you might no not Western. learn as much. Yeah. yeah no, no Westerners. One Arab and uh, uh, 14 Indonesians. And the third difference is that you are assigned two teachers. Those two teachers teach you everything and you mm. become convinced with them. So, uh, are there, that, were there awrad on the, uh, on the, uh, loudspeaker every day? Man, <laughs> there were not just awrad. Students had to do the awrad. They were the ones doing the loudspeaker. Yep. So I think I was, I was the guy for like three months. Yeah. So, uh, and you just get trained in all these awrad. And we're not talking word latif and ratib. Yep. We're talking all these awrad. And in Inat, they had an extra word that the people of Inat do. And you're going to love this, Dr. Shadi. Their extra word is that they recite the aqidah, the short aqidah of Sheikh Abu Bakr al-Sakran every day. Hajib. It's literally, it's literally an aqidah. It's like a mini tahawit. Yeah. And they recite it every day. Subhanallah. Uh, so that was extra there. And then Can the you rest... look it up, Rai? Get the PDF? Yeah. Aqid of Abu Bakr al-Sakran. Yep, Aqid. I can send it to you after this. Yeah. Um, and so, and they have like this way of reciting it. And so, um, man, it was awesome. So I just spent one year, you know, you memorize pretty much every text you study uh, in that place. You memorize a lot of Quran. Quran circles of review, but the one story I'll say about this, and I know I'm blabbering here, I'll just mm. give one so people can benefit. Um, I got very close to the main teacher, whose name, very few people know, his name was Sheikh Ahmed Alwan, and he was a graduate of Dar Mustafa from the north of Yemen. This individual, so the money he would make, the little amount of money that you would make as a teacher in Dar Mustafa, he would send back to his family. Mm. He would eat with us. He would sleep where we slept. It was as if, he's a, if you saw him, you think he's a student there. Yeah, subhanAllah. And he didn't have sandals. That's how, like, that's how much, you know, at that time his state was in. I remember once I caught him washing his clothes and he was using the leftover detergent that had, like, fallen. SubhanAllah. And I mean... He just gave everything to the students. Every second he had. And his job was preparatory to prepare you to go on to, to study. Higher levels of study. Yeah. And so you're going to leave him after one or two years, right? All the yeah. students, they spend one or two years there. He sets them up. He cooks them. Uh, he, he prepares them for the big grill. Exactly. That's exactly like uh, uh, our institutes here. MashaAllah. Right? Yeah. Allah. That's very true. So I, I yeah. didn't think of that. That's really true. Yeah. And so this individual, just seeing his, just seeing his care, um, it really shook me and it shaped a lot of who I am. Can I get 10 seconds? I locked the latch on my wife. I'm sorry. Yeah, about sure. That. No problem. While uh, Sheikh Omar is uh, getting the door, if you like this live stream, go to patreon.com forward slash Safina Society and you can 
uh, become a patron so that we can bring on more guests and we could uh, develop the uh, this live stream even more to bring you you know some insights and benefits uh, on ArcView today. Today is Tuesday, so it's Madiki Fiqh Day. I will be teaching at seven fifteen to eight o'clock. Madiki Fiqh online. Uh, if you want to join this class, you can go to arcview.org. Every year we go from the three uh, the three Madiki texts that we cover. Ashmawiya, Akhdari, Ibn Ashir. In one year, you will be ready to study Madiki Fiqh anywhere. And you'll be strong. And we will provide, through ArcView Plus, the higher-level books. So Monday is Hanafi Fiqh, Tuesday Madiki Fiqh, Wednesday Shafi Fiqh, Thursday Hanbali Fiqh. Right, so to prepare preparatory Fiqh and get you going on the first uh, initial books of each of these madahib. Okay, If you're on Instagram and you want to see the full picture, go to youtube.com or forward slash Safina Society. All right, Sheikh Omar is back. So now you finish your preparatory year, and then what happens? Um, mm -hmm. Go back home for the summer. Mom, mom, mom you know, wants to see me, so I go back home for the summer. Uh, that's where I started teaching Arabic. For that summer, I taught with Fawake. Um, So I start to, like, I, again, when you want to talk culture shock, spend a year in Tadim, come back here. That's culture yeah. shock. It's a depression, actually. Oh, man. Yeah, that's depression. Uh, the stories can go on and on, but uh, it, it, it was tough. So rushed my way back to Tareem, alhamdulillah. And uh, in the second year now, um, my mom tells me before I leave, your time's almost up. And I'm like, no, please, no. You know, uh, Dr. Shad, you're very familiar with it, right? It's like the pull it, no, like just a couple more yeah. years. And... Then, and um, I, this year, I was advised by my teachers there uh, not to be in the formal program, but, but rather to have what's called Tatib Khas, a specific uh, track to where yeah. I get what I need. Yeah. And uh, so now I'm studying more advanced books, and uh, it's rigorous and it's just awesome. And I'm getting to spend time with these like these habayib. Some of them are habayib. Some of them are just elder shuyukh of Tareem. Mm -hmm. And spending time with the Mufti of Dar al-Mustafa, Shaykh Omar al-Khatib. And um, uh, getting to finally now sit in the daily class of Habib Omar himself in the Roha. Um, and so this just is becomes like a year that academically really excel. And I also get the spirit of Dar al-Mustafa, which is to instill in the student knowledge, suluk, and da'wah. Mm -hmm. you know, da'wah trips in, in Tareem were awesome. When yeah. you go to the Bedouins and you know, and and and, and give some da'wah over there. So, in this year, uh, so many things stood out. So many stories, you know. Uh, I got to sit with how you call them, and uh, every day after Dhuhr, uh, it was fourth period. He would come after fourth period and just sit in the musalla, straight like this, just like this. Okay, and for those who don't know how you call them, gigantic scholar. So. And basically what it was, was like, who wants to study more after their fourth period? Mm. Now, after fourth period is lunch. Mm. So if you want to study how you call them, what do you have to sacrifice? You're going to have to sacrifice yeah. lunch. SubhanAllah. And, and um, you know, I read, read a good amount with him. And like class with him is, is, is exactly like this. He has a misbaha in one hand. Okay. He's telling you to read. He gets a phone call. 
Okay. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do this. Do this. Read. Read. And do this. Do this. This. No. No. That word means this. Do this. Okay. <laughs> no, I'll call you later. I swear, Doctor Shetty. One time. Okay. He had two phones. Subhanallah. <laughs> Subhanallah. He'll actively fast. Like if I mess up a haraka, he's like, no, you read it wrong. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Just seeing like these amazing scholars day in and day out. This is the culture here. This is their life. And on top of that, people have this claim about Tasawwuf, about, about Sufi, right? That they're not about ilm. Oh, this boils my blood. Mm. Right? Because I, I spent two years in, 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 in Tareem, in Dada Mustafa and its branches. And it's like, all I saw was the highest level of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Right? And you might say, oh, you were still young then. I went back five years later, sat with the scholars and realized they're talking at the highest level of knowledge. Yeah. Don't get dissuaded because they do a lot of dhikr and they have molids and they have and they have happy gatherings, right? And like they're, they're enjoying deen. Don't don't yeah. make that that they don't have knowledge. And uh, so you see this like highest caliber. I was sitting on, you know, after Dhuhr twice a week, Sheikh Omar Khatib. He prepares a fatwa that he needs to review. Mm. And he, look at the adab. Look at the adab. They pray dhuhr and jama'ah. They finish. They read the hizb of Imam uh, Haddad, hizb al-Nasr. After that, Shaykh Umar Khatib, he comes close to Hagar Umar, right? And he just waits for him to turn. And this is now fatwa review time. Mm. And if you're close enough, you get to hear. Subhanallah. And so, like, just being in on that and sitting in on other gatherings, it was academically and spiritually, and, uh, and it, was, it was amazing. Oh, another thing I, that was really big for me that year, I was made um, in charge of Western students in the, in the, in the Dar. And people come to Dar, most of them mainly because it's a hospital. Mm. A lot of people, they come with a lot of hurt and they're looking to be cured. And I got to be exposed to that. Before, I'm like only a student, right? Now I'm getting exposed to this and the problems that these students are having, the problems that they bring problems from Australia. From Australia. We got a bunch of ex-gangsters coming, right? MashaAllah. And they leave as like amazing people. Right? America, you have so many, you know, different types of people coming in England. So, you know, uh, at that time, Hayyamar's son, Sayyid Salam, was the principal. Mm. And... Getting to see him interact with these students, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. And I feel like I've talked a lot. So No, keep me. going. Keep going. Um, I get woken up at 2 a.m. Mm. Okay. Uh, they used to call me, uh, <laughs> they used to call me Mubarak because they couldn't pronounce my last name, Popal. Yeah. They literally just changed it on the admin form to Omar Mubarak. Ajeeb. <laughs> so they go, they go, Mubarak. Mubarak. Oh they said, mm. I'm like, it's 2 a.m. Like, what? Because I saw means you. Okay. Right? And you go, and two Westerners got in a fight. They got in a fist fight. Whoa. Yeah. And and they go, and they, they have a meeting with Sayyid Salam. Look at Sayyid Salam, by the way, being awake in his office at 2 a.m. SubhanAllah. And I'm the translator. So these guys are going at it, right? One of them, Miskeen, he, he's going through something. He loses it. Right? He starts cursing out Sayyid Salam. I mean, I mean, cursing. Sayyid Salam looks at me and goes, Tarjim, tell me what he said. Oh my God. <laughs> like, I'm like, that. 
He goes, Tarjim ya Amr. And I was like, nope, not translating. Sorry. SubhanAllah. He, and then he goes to me and he goes, he wants to punch me, huh? And I was like, because <laughs> like, that's, what, that's what the guy wanted to do. He wanted to punch him. And, and he, just, he just calms down and he goes to him and he grabs him and he says, says, I promise you, I won't get upset. Punch me. If it makes you feel better, I have no issue. Punch me. We can work this out. We can get through this. If this is what you need to calm down, no problem. Punch me. And then the boy calmed down. SubhanAllah. So a lot of those sessions. Mm. A lot of those sessions. So turns out my mom calls and she says you need to come back home for XYZ reason. So the dream is up. You got to leave Narnia. Yeah. And you got to go back into the closet. <laughs> into the real world. SubhanAllah. Things happened later. Allah allowed me to continue my studies and whatnot. But but that that two years of tirim was. You continued your. How did you continue your studies? Now you went back to the Hanafi fiqh. So I come back home, and uh, it's like the year of Hazan. Yeah. Without getting into detail, uh, Allah facilitates that I'm able to go to Dar al Qasim in Chicago. Okay. And uh, uh, I, I I I pass the test. I get into the final year. Of what? Uh, of what? Their of their bachelor's program. Oh, the whole thing. Okay. But they have their masters. Essentially, they study the six books of hadith. Okay. But Shah Wali Allah Dihlawi, his understanding of the Nidami program, uh, when he was studying, was that if you study Jalalain, Mishkat al-Masabih, and the Hidayah, uh, in the Hanafi Madhab, uh, of course, along with books in Kalam like Shafi Al-Qaid al-Nasafi. And everything that comes before. If you do that, you are, you are, that's, that's sufficient for you. Yeah. And, and if you want to continue, now, now you go to the six books of Hadith. So I was able to, to test in and, and had a great year in Chicago. Um, where it was the first time in my life I had to work to support my studies. And uh, got to sit with the likes of Dr. Umar Farooq Abdullah, Sheikh Amin Farwadiya. Um, just really benefiting a lot. And then uh, uh, I managed to get one more year out of my mom. She gives me one more year. Mm-hmm. One more. And so I make a stikhara. I talk to my shuyukh. And uh, I'm not able to go back to Reem. So I go to Turkey for a year. I was really, really blessed. I mean, so many different stories that I get to study with the likes of Sheikh Khalid Khalsa every day for two hours. SubhanAllah. All these Ma'ad al-Fat Damascus shuyukh are just there. Yep. Uh, Dr. Hamza Bakri before he got super famous. Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually did the muwatta with him. I did the all the ibadat of the muwatta with Dr. Hamza. And um, and then uh, 2017 came back. So and so, did you do what uh, Habib Omar said about studying Shafi fiqh while you're there, and then coming back and continuing Hanafi fiqh, or did you stick yeah. with the Shafi school? No, no. So I came back. Uh, first thing I did when I came back, found a teacher for Hanafi Usul. I was weak, mm. so I uh, got stronger in that. Continued to study Hanafi fiqh through like recordings and stuff. Went to Dar al Qasim, uh, studied the uh, 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 oh, so I was studying fiqh uh, uh, locally with some other people. Then went to Dar al Qasim and then studied the Hidayah, um, which is that book needs that book can be a madrasa in itself and can have a six year course around yeah. it. Uh, that's Hanafi fiqh, right. Yes, no, no. Hidayah is like you need to be solid in all the topics of Hanafi fit before you can go to the Hidayah. Because the Hidayah is like, listen, Hanafis say this, 
Shafi'i and Malik say this. Why is the Hanafi opinion better? Let's go. Okay. So it, it has a comparative element to it. Yes. And the comparative element has a very logic undertone. So you have to be strong yeah. in Mantuk. Mantuk, yeah. Um, and, um, because they don't have the Amal, so they have to go to that Mantuk, right? <laughs> we have Amal Mutawarith. We take the actions of the companions. Kufans, right? Of Kufans, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, the revelation didn't come down in Kufa. Game in Medina, but see, we don't have. I was, I was thinking, mashallah, this hidayah is wonderful. That's an awesome book that it compares. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, we don't, Madiki, we don't have that, right? And, um, but then again, they don't, they don't have that because at the time, there, there was, there was no uh, uh, alternate to look at, right? So the Kufans are tended to be looking at the Medinas, right? Huh. And we, we, there, we get a lot of that. In, in the Sira of Maddox's time, we get a lot of the Kufans mm. coming down to Medina and comparing, right? Mm. Because everyone will come to Medina for religious reasons, obviously, right? Yeah. But Medinans tend will not necessarily go out to other cities. They will have no reason to go to other cities, True. right? So it's interesting that you said that. And maybe in the Mutawalats, right? Even rushed. Well, yeah, but in the Mutawalats, we'll have those books, yeah. In the Mutawalats, but in the Mutun... Like in when I'm thinking in the in the Mutun, we don't necessarily have a lot of those mentions of other opinions. Yeah, because so Ibn, Ibn Rushd is not considered like a metan that's read from cover to cover. It's like a, you know the Mutawalat, the long books that you would dive into, and then you see all the debates. Yeah, I mean yeah. we can talk about this for a long time. Hidayah and for is seen as a metan. Yeah, but it really belongs in the Mutawalat category, and um, because a metan is like quduri in the Hanafi school, right? Goes yeah. through all the covers of fit, good to go. So um, Hidayah is not cover is not read cover to cover. Hidayah in a curriculum, I mean, it'll be will be there as like cover to cover. Yeah, it's meant to. It's meant to. But let me tell you what happens. One of two things happens, and this is a problem with Islamic seminaries, and they're figuring it out. Yeah. And I went through this problem, and I had a very hard time. Yeah. Either, either, and this is the majority. They will speed read. Right, so it's like read, femdom, no, uh, try and explain, doesn't matter. I mean, I've had classes like we did 18 pages of Hidayah in a day in an hour class. Wow, like that's mushkila. Yeah, now if you're like faqih, mashallah, and now you're studying Hidayah, no problem. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, the second option is what they do is they'll just select certain chapters so you understand the, the way to read this book. Yes, that's that's the best way. That's the best way. I, I like yeah. that way, and that's starting now, and I'm yeah. so happy. And the, for, for those who are listening, a metan is a short book that has all the conclusions you need. And the matun, plural of metan, go from smaller to bigger, covering like everything you need to know as a child. Just reach bulu about salat and fasting. Next one, the five pillars. Next one... We'll have the five pillars expanded a little bit. Next one, we'll have now marriage and, and buying and selling, like uh, Abu Hassan al-Shadli uh, has uh, the Iziyah. Next, you'll have something like uh, the Risala, which has the descriptions of how to do these things, buy, sell, war, every, every chapter. And then you have Amrusi, which is, covers all those in a systematic manner. The word mutawalat comes from the word tawil, which is really long. The mutawalat is the joy. That's the feast. Okay. And really the shiuch, they're training you so that you could read the mutawalat. If you think about it, right? 
The mutawalat is where the sheikh, he knows that there is, it's almost as if the sheikh writing it, he's, uh, he's basically knowing that you know your stuff, now we don't have to worry about teaching you the basics, and we can go deep. And you can go into a chapter, and he will go into every fine detail and discussion and back and forth about it. So if I want a quick, very quick reference on what an ayah means in tafsir, we go to tafsir al-jalalain. But if I really want to dive into it and take a super deep dive, I go to Fakhr al-Razi. If I want a mutawasit deep dive, I'll go to al-Baghawi, for example. Mutawasit. You'll get information, but it's not long. And so in Hanafi fiqh, what you're saying is that the Hidayah, that is the book where you can take the deep dive and it's almost you're sitting in a graduate seminar where the professor says, here's the ruling, let's discuss it, let's see what the other madhabs say and why, based on our usul, this hujja is the strongest. Yeah. All right, and so, and that's, uh, if you're a Hanafi, you really want to get to the point of reading the Hidayah. All right, in the same way that in, Probably the Shafi'is have their books that what they consider mutawalat that have all these discussions. Yeah. And, and also they bring up evidences, right? Mutun do not give you evidences. Mutun just tell you how to practice your religion. The mutawalat is where you can find your evidence. Anyone ever says to you, um, if anyone ever says to you, well, you're doing this, what's the evidence? You're not going to find it in the mutun. You need to go to the mutawalat to find why that, and not only what's the evidence, why that's the evidence versus something else. And the Madagi and Hanafi Madhabs have a union. Yeah. And their union, and there's a video Sheikh Muhammad Al-Qubi has on this too. Their union is in how they treat the Ahad Hadith and as the Madagi have Amal Ahl Medina, you have Al-Amal Al-Mutawarith, you called it. Yeah. Which is Amal Ahl Al-Kufa, right? There's yeah. 10,000 10, Sahabis died in Kufa. How many do you think lived there? How about Sayyidina Ali and Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud? Yeah. How can you, basically, if that's your fiqh, how are you going wrong as a madhab? Right? When you have Sayyidina Ali and you have Abdullah bin Mas'ud, it's made that their home. On top of that, many, many, many other Sahabah lived there and probably the Asanid go back to them. Right? So, uh, reading Hidayah, if you're a Hanafi, that's where you want to go. Of course, probably has never been translated, right? It has. It, it has been. Wait, yeah. Do we have that, Ryan, in in our in our library? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, that's not that, that's that's bad. You should know what books we have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so you so you you followed that advice that uh, you so you are learned in the Shafi's fiqh too. Yeah, so in Shafi'i fiqh, I would say that uh, if needed, I'm able to teach the fiqh of worship. Preparatory. Okay, that's really good. That's very good. It's a good tool to have to be able to uh, to bring both uh, madhabs and anyone who needs something, you could you can give it to them. Because you may have, uh, Virginia, you might have, uh, you know, people I'm sure that they want to study Shafi'i fiqh. Uh, I think the Somalis, what are they? They're Shafi'i, if I'm not mistaken, right? I and hope so. You have Somalis in all the Habasha, all that Habasha area, they're yeah. Shafi'i. All yeah. of East Africa is Shafi'i. West India is Shafi'i. Yeah. Okay. And all of Indonesia and Malaysia is Shafi'i. So, you, ever, you, you ever notice something, Dr. Shafi'i? A lot of our Muslim brothers and sisters 
who are like they're not they're not Salafi, they're not right. They don't yeah. they don't they don't know much to know what is Salafi or what is not a Salafi, right? Yes. So so but they're just like all oh, Muslim, right? Mm. If you look at their practice, it's Shafi. It's Shafi, yeah. Because if you not tell them it yes. comes from the Shafi school, it's like, huh? Quran exactly. Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> because the Shafi and Hanbali have a union in which they uh, apply the ahad. It's at equal level as anything. A hadith is a hadith. So mm-hmm. they, they apply it. And there's only a few times where there's an exception, such as there are ittirab, such as two ahad that seem to have contradiction. Then they will uh, fit it where it doesn't contradict anything. But yeah. uh, that's why they have a union. So the madhahib have overlaps. in the And all madhahib, some people say, why do we have madhahibs? And this is the best answer. The speech of Allah is qatai and dhanni. Speech of God and his prophet can be categorized as some of it is explicit. It has one possible meaning. Others, they have spoken in a way that has multiple possible meanings. Madhahib only... Now, of the, of the dhanni, some of it, it also breaks into two. Some of this speculative speech, interpretive language, has ijma' upon it. And others does not have ijma' upon it. That interpretive language of Quran and Hadith that does not have ijma' upon it, that's where you have madhabs. So you could say 25% of the masail are going to be different, 75 is all the same. Because the qat'i will be mutawatir and ahad, no discussion on that. Dhanni, ijma', no ijma', the ijma' side, no discussion on that. That what, What's left? Interpretive type of text in which there is no ijma', that's where madhahib come. Absolutely. You can um, give me 10 seconds. So Sheikh Omar had his breather. I'm going to take 10 seconds. I'll be right back. And then Ryan and uh, Sheikh Omar will take it from here for 10 seconds. Maybe a bit more. You singing the sheet? Yeah. Whatever you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> Sheikh Omar, as-salamu alaykum. Ryan. Thank you so much for these stories. Alhamdulillah. Um, I was wondering, since we mentioned uh, Imam al-Haddad, and uh, you mentioned Adab's Luke Murid, which we're reading right now as well. Um, oh, cool. <clears throat> something that's big is taking all these experiences, and for a lot of people, it's the experiences of our teachers and knowledge that we're learning. But what we learned from Imam Haddad is that all of this, it's most important to implement it in our lives and mm-hmm. to spread it and practice it. So do you have any advice for how to take this earning and manifest it on our limbs and in our, in our lives? Yeah. Uh, that's a really, really, uh, I mean, that's, that's the, question, the question, right? Why, Why seek knowledge, knowledge at all if you're not going to practice it? And I think that's the difference between a Muslim education versus the academy. A you know, if a, a beautiful book, Ryan, if you want to learn and convince yourself of the need to practice what you learn, you read the first couple of pages of Imam Ghazali's uh, "My Dear Beloved Son." All right. Mm. That in that he through Quran, through Hadith, and through the intellect, he basically just hammers. Right? And says there's no point of studying unless you're going to practice what you're studying. And he gives a good example. He says, let's say that someone says, but Imam Ghazali, by faith alone, right, we can get to paradise. 
The Prophet said, whoever says la ilaha illallah enters paradise. Right? If you don't make tawbah, you'll spend some time in hellfire and you'll go to paradise. If you do make tawbah, you go to paradise. So, so what do you say to that? And then Imam Ghazali says, he says, okay. Right? Let's say I, I, I submit to that. You'll get to paradise. But after how much difficulty? Right? It's action. It's practicing action that increases your faith and your certainty. If you don't have any action, how do you know you're going to die with faith? How do you know you're going to die with Iman? If you know, mashallah, all four madhabs how to pray, but you never actually do the prayer and feel the spiritual benefits, right? Then Allah is saying in the Quran, prayer uh, 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 distances you from filth and sin and bad things. You'll never experience that because you're not doing it, right? And so um, I, I think that number one, the first step in applying one's knowledge is to ask Allah, Allahumma alimna ma yinfa'una unfa'na bima alimtana. Oh Allah, teach us that which is beneficial to us. Benefit us by that which you've taught us. What does it mean to benefit us? Ya Allah, benefit us by that which you've taught us. Yani, allow us to practice it. So you seek help in Allah. The second is, um, we need to create realistic standards of how much we can do as individuals, not as institutions, as individuals, and, and stick to them. And the third, and this is so important, Ryan, and I hope we can start this in our communities. Let us read stories about the righteous and how they practice and what happened in their lives and the gifts that Allah gave them. They still exist to this day. They have going on right now. <laughs> right? No, we have one on right now giving the stories. Alhamdulillah. And, uh, you know, uh, Imam Junaid said, I love the stories of the righteous because they're the soldiers of God. Abu Hanifa said, my favorite genre of literature is stories of the righteous, right? Because that, that's what gets you out of bed, man. I want to be like them. We need role models. And who better than the Salaf al-Salih? SubhanAllah. All right, Dr. Shari is back, but I want to squeeze in another question. If it's yes, right. please do. Go ahead. So, let's, let's open it up to the audience to uh, uh, bring up any questions that they have. All right, real quick. Uh, alhamdulillah, we were blessed to be with Sheikh Samr and Nas uh, a couple weeks ago. And, yeah. you know, subhanAllah, he's on, on such a high level, though. Um, I asked him a question. I said, you know, we intend to study a lot of people from our community. We intend to go study. What's like the greatest advice that you could give us when we go to study? And he said, really quick, short answer. He said, the best, the most that I've learned was here, talking about America. And uh, that was his whole answer. And subhanAllah, and I was like, <laughs> I, I still haven't figured out, like I understand a little bit, but like, I wanted to ask, maybe there's a lot of people here who will never get the chance to go overseas. Like what, what can we take from our experiences here and learn in matters of tasawwuf and, and things like that? So I think I've understood your, your question. By the way, Sheikh Samad. Uh, Dr. Shad, you guys should have a separate podcast with like one of his students, mashallah. Mm. Um, man. You know, that's if you told me any other answer than that, I would have said that doesn't sound like Shaykh Samuel. <laughs> um, so that's for you to reflect on, Ryan, and you can reflect on that answer, inshallah. But as far as 
I mean, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, by the, by the blessing of Allah and the barakah of the khayr that is in the ummah of the Rasul and the effort of people like Dr. Shadi, Sheikh Yahya Rodas, Imam Amin, Seekers Guidance, I mean, just so many different institutes, okay? Uh, no one in America can say, oh, I can't study. No, you can study, mashallah, right? Ah, you don't have the discipline to study. There we go, right? So your problem is not you can't study. Don't convince yourself about false things. You don't have discipline, right? So now what do you need? You need good, you need suhbah, right? You need good companionship. And this is where you might have to move, right? Maybe not states, but you got to find, put yourself in, in close to a masjid that has programming going on. Right, because remember what we said earlier, right? Like it's 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 amal that's gonna give you the spiritual benefit, not ilm in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Doc Shadi can say a lot more, but but that's what I would say. There, there's, I don't want to hear from anyone. Oh, I can't study. Like if I hear that, like I just I don't want to talk to you. Like like what like that means you can't. What are you talking about? Right? Oh, I can't go overseas. Okay, no problem. You you, you can you can you can uh, cry your heart out to me. I'll cry my heart out to you. That's fine. Right, but we have immense opportunities to study, and I know Dr. Shadi, you mentioned that our institutions are like cooking the students to go study mm -hmm. with, the, with the great scholars. Mm -hmm. uh, that is true, but we even now, like now, it's even possible to get to like almost high intermediate. You mm. know, it is actually. Oh, uh, I'm back on. Okay, sorry, I didn't realize I was back on there. Uh, it is possible in a lot of these schools and a lot of these places to get into the intermediate and the high intermediate levels. Yeah. Uh, in these, uh, even if they're not like official, like nine to five schools, yeah. but the teachers are there, the books are there, the building is there to do it in. And, and that's really good. That's what we got to, sometimes I think you're like, well, where are we headed? I think that this is life. This is it. You just do this for your whole life and you, and you, and you help people get on and learn about how to live and learn, uh, you know, how to make their way in life until they reach their grades. Because yeah. remember, the end result is not going to happen in this Hayat dunya The end, really, of all this work is going to happen after you die. You're going to see the result of it after you die. Uh, unlike other movements where we could say, like, well, the end result would be, you know, to see the Islamic State. That's wonderful, but we're so far from anything close to that. It's not even, there's not even a point to even think about that. Oftentimes, I also think about all of our work here is a lifeboat. It's all just one big lifeboat. Because the there's there are tides, and when you're living in a non-Muslim majority country, it's just going to be one tide after the next. It's one wave after the next, and you may grow, but the population around you may grow too. You may get stronger, but the satanic influences can also get stronger. So uh, you know we're always thinking about these things, right? So we, we need these lifeboats, and we need to spend our, our lives on these lifeboats, but uh, we also need to have a balanced approach because they're studying. There are, what about the person that you were, the person that I was, the person that Ryan was, many other people at age 15, 14, 15, and 16? Yeah. Like that's a crucial age. Any little influence that happens at that age, it goes, it could be a life trajectory. Like you can come to a man who's 40, it's hard to affect his life, right? You go to Dar Mustafa today, it's not going to be the same way that maybe we went when we were 
in our teen years where it's like, I can't believe what is all this, right? And this is it. This is it, right? But when you're 50 years old, unfortunately, you've seen a little bit more of the dunya and the world and you've experienced a lot. You may get more out of it. You may get more out of it. That's for sure. At faster and you get more out of it. But that what you get out of it in comparison to the life that you've lived, the percentage is less. Mm-hmm. Whereas a person may be 14, 15, 16 and get a sliver but that sliver for that kid represents 70% of everything he knows, right? So, uh, who else has a question for Sheikh Omar on, on the stream? Uh, should, should, I, should I jump off? I feel like I'm taking over your stream today or something. Well, you are the stream today. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Ryan to text me saying, okay, goodbye. No, no, not at all. As long as this is good for your timing, Sheikh. Yeah, we go from one to three, so it is almost three o'clock. It's we're past three, so let's take one more question from Mass Q. Why do some ulama say the muqallidin's difference in differences in one madhab is the same as the mujtahid's difference of the four schools? Did you understand that? Why do some ulama say that the muqallids what differences in one madhab? I don't understand the question. So Mass Q, you might need to ask that again. I don't understand it. Um, yeah. Mm. Hey, inshallah. All right. Let us, bi'idhnillahi uh, ta'ala, meet up in person. Eventually, we need to make the annual trip to Virginia. We wow. should do that. It should be an annual trip to Virginia. Uh, we'll take a Thursday evening, and we'll go down there uh, to Virginia, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, and we'll, talk, we'll see you in person. And everyone who is listening here who's from the south like we could make a meeting point if you're from what's what state is under virginia west virginia uh, georgia north carolina, north carolina south carolina georgia florida okay so it gets really into no man's land quick <laughs> after <laughs> after fairfax arlington seven sisters all those areas boom within 20 minutes of driving down the highway it becomes country you know huh yeah it becomes civil war times right basically but thank you so much for having us for coming on the stream may allah bless you may allah uh, extend the benefit of tanweed institute um far and wide uh, and may allah ta'ala give you consistency and let us both live and die upon this type of work and upon uh khidmah of the deen and the sharia and sincerity and may Allah ta'ala yahul baynana wa bayna ma'asiyyatih make a big gap between us and acts of disobedience wa sallallahu wa baraka ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen and thank you again to our guest for today Sheikh Omar Popal which hopefully we'll have you again another time soon
Oh, 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 oh,